Welcome back to Cautiously Optimistic, episode 94. We are here in the Culver City Studios. Jesse is here, of course. Sully is back in Topeka, Kansas. Uh, he just finished a show over there doing his I'm gonna, thing. I'm going to stop you right there. It's Topeka, not Topeka. <laughs> oh. You just insulted an entire region of people. So That's start. a fact. That's a fact. And actually, now that we, we're actually on mispronouncing cities, I have a question for you, Sully. You were over at the Action Bronson concert. Um, tell yep. us about our boy Mayhem Loren, uh, not really oh. knowing where he was. <laughs> yeah, so I pulled up at the Action Bronson concert in Lawrence, you know, where, uh, in Lawrence where the campus of KU is. And uh, so, first off, I have a friend who works behind the scenes there, uh, you know, does tickets and everything like that. And so she was telling me there was, you know, first off, discrepancy in the payment um, because first Action Bronson thought it would just be him. Then they're like, no, we want the opener too. So they charged him an additional fee on top of that. So whatever happened, you know, they ended up paying him the right amount. And so Mayhem Laurent opens up. He comes out on stage to open up the concert. He's like, in Lawrence, Kansas City, how we doing tonight? And <laughs> mentioned it probably four or five times throughout his set that we are in Kansas City, despite being about uh 30 minutes 40 minutes from kansas city so it was a nice nice time bronson was great though he knew we were in lawrence he said that multiple times so uh it all worked out in the end but that was pretty funny that's just a classic uh i think a classic thing that a lot of rappers don't do anymore i know travis scott actually got hit with that earlier this year in um I think in was, kansas city yeah kansas city and he said st yeah, louis he said st louis <laughs> So that's always fun but you know you know our boy action bronson came correct with it so you gotta love that yeah, absolutely. He's not going to let the people down. So that was huge. Big time for him. And, and it was a great show after that, so you can't complain. Yes. So it is now March. Uh, we are entering the month of March Madness, the basketball tournament. And as you guys know, we are big fans of March Madness. Silly, I know you're going to be doing some coverage out there in Kansas. I've been, We've both been enjoying the coverage you've been doing over there at Kansas, Kansas State, whatever it may be. But uh, we just want to give an announcement that... We will be back hosting another bracket challenge for everybody out there. All our listeners are welcome to join. Play with us. Uh, see if you can beat us. And there is a prize. We're going to do the $15 gift card of your choosing again to the winner. Um, shout out to my sister who won it last year, although she does not care about sports. That's just more hope for everybody out there uh, who wants to fill out a bracket and try and uh, you know, get that gift card wherever you want to go. And just so you know, it's also free. You don't have. There's no buy-in. You're not buying in $5 to try and get your gift card. It's free to join the bracket you just... Your perk from joining is possibly uh, getting the gift card. I'm sorry to tell you, though, you're not going to get the gift card because I am going to win, as I always do, <laughs> as long as you don't check the standings. Yeah, Jesse will definitely win as long as Kimberly doesn't play again, so uh, we'll just hope for that. You know, who knows? You can do whatever you want. You can fill it out seriously, or you can do as my father does every year, and he fills out his bracket based on which mascot would defeat the other one in a uh, battle, uh, just a physical fight. Yeah, that's... Uh, I always enjoy that from Bob. That is a smart uh, strategy there, you know, whether it's mascots battling, whether it's whatever color you like more. Uh, really, there's no strategy that's better than the other. Uh, they all probably work in March Madness, and that's the beauty of it. So, again, we'll uh, get at the details on social media for you guys to sign up for that. Um, because, actually, Jesse and I were talking before air. Usually, uh, we're recording this on March 10th, Sunday, and we thought this was, you know, last year, this early in March was Selection Sunday, and I think it's going to be pushed back. Well, it is going to be pushed back until next Sunday. And uh, we... I don't know. We were confused about that because why is March Madness going to start in March 20-something, you know? Well, the championship game, it feels like, too, is going to end up being like – it feels like it's getting later and later every year anyway. But it's like 
I, the championship game is going to be in like late April, and that's that just doesn't feel right. Yeah, I mean the, the tournament does pick up some pace, and those weekends do go fast. But uh, it is weird, you know. We're at March 10th right now. It'll be 11th when this drops. Conference tournaments don't wrap up till next Saturday for the you know Power Five conferences at the very least. So uh, that is weird. And on top of that, you have these smaller school conferences. You know, example Murray State punched their ticket yesterday. Now they're going to wait what two weeks before they play again, almost. So that's a, or I guess a week and a half. That's that's tough for some of the smaller schools as well, who already have to deal with all the Cinderella nature of the time of the year. Yeah, and, and you saw what happened. Like Michigan, I mean, they ended up having a, a good tournament, but you know, Michigan played their tournament last year a week before everybody else, when all the smaller schools was very interesting decision there. But yeah, like you said, like those those smaller schools are going to have to wait a week and a half now before you know they're even playing anything. Two weeks, so um, odd that it's this late. But hey, we're pumped for Selection Sunday either way. Yes, we are pumped for March Madness. We'll probably be talking a lot about March Madness in the next few weeks and the next few podcasts. But uh, for this episode, we wanted to bring back a special guest to go to the other side of basketball, and that's the NBA, uh, specifically the Lakers. Now, it's not a good time for the Lakers, but we wanted to call back our good friend Harrison Fagan, now of Silver Screen and Roll, SB Nation. Um, he's going to be on the line here momentarily to talk about what has become really just a debacle of, the se- of a season here for the Lakers. So we're excited to have him on the show soon. And we are proud to be joined once again by our good friend, a return guest to the podcast, and I'm talking about none other than Harrison Fagan, now of Silver Screen and Roll, the editor-in-chief. He is running things over there. Previously, he was at Lakers Nation when we talked to him about a year and a half ago. Go back and listen to that if you want to get to know Harrison a little bit more. But um, Harrison is here. He has been covering the Lakers for several years, doing bigger and better things every year, it seems, every month, it seems, including getting engaged recently. So congratulations on that. And thank you so much, Harrison, for joining Cautiously Optimistic once again. Yeah, I, I appreciate you guys having me back. I, I think I'm going to have to pause you, though, on the doing bigger and better things like each month, because I think like just by virtue of the getting engaged thing, like if I if I claim that anything I've done since then is better, I think my fiance will leave me and she's in the room um, or she she's in the apartment. I think she can hear our convert, at least my end of this conversation. So not improving at everything. Just uh, that that was the peak. That's the peak yeah. so far. There you go. That's a that's a really good point. Um, and then another good point, you know, we were realizing that uh, you have have now added more rings than I think the Lakers will be getting uh, in the near future, at least this year, confirmed. Um, <laughs> so that's that's another thing. But, you know, the ring looks good. And again, congratulations from all of us at Cautiously Optimistic. Oh, thanks, guys. I appreciate that. And yeah, um, you know, my, mine was probably a little easier. I probably had a slightly easier path to getting there than the Lakers did. But, um, you know, they didn't necessarily make that path that easy on themselves either. Yeah, that's that's very yeah. true. Absolutely. So, you know, Harry, let's just let's just get right into this. You know, we've seen all the tweets this week about what didn't exist, you know, and, and what was happening. Last time Braun didn't make the playoffs and obviously I think when we he made the commitment to come to the Lakers in the offseason, we all thought we were really turning the ship around. But what do you think kinda of happened throughout this year? Is there one main point that was really, you know, maybe injury or all the trade deadline talk that kind of really sank the ship here for the Lakers? Look, I, I was actually I was talking about this and I was trying to I made the mistake of trying to have a nuanced conversation about this on Twitter yesterday. <laughs> um, and so I, I think 
the biggest fact, if you're going to point to a factor of why this team went off the rails, the biggest thing that you have to point to is injuries. Because, like, look, we can point at all of the flaws in the roster construction, and I've pointed them out plenty in my writing, on in social media, on like my various podcast appearances, and on my podcast that we do at Silver Screen and Roll. Like, we've we've talked about all the mistakes that they made, the lack of shooting that they constructed this roster with, and you know, like surrounding. LeBron with uh, surrounding LeBron with non-shooters and how much of a mistake that was and you know what the trade deadline did and how they managed the trade deadline did to the team's morale and things like that like all of that stuff could have happened and like if LeBron doesn't miss 18 games I don't think that we're having this conversation about the the team missing the playoffs and like look they haven't been good in weeks and like part of that is that LeBron hasn't been quite himself since he returned and I just have a hard time thinking that this team doesn't make the playoffs and now what I do think or that that te- this team doesn't make the playoffs if LeBron had stayed relatively healthy like even if he, he was always going to miss a couple games he is older but to expect him to miss the longest stint of his career just this first year with the Lakers like you could have guessed at it because he's an a year older than he's ever played in the NBA but I think that most people probably weren't expecting him to miss that much time but like look if the Lakers it's one thing for us to use that nuance when discussing everything that went wrong and saying that it probably would have turned out like okay if that hadn't happened but the Lakers can't have that takeaway at the same time like the Lakers have to look at all the things that went wrong here outside of the health and really take like if you're a Laker fan, what you have to be doing right now is hoping that this team is taking a hard look in the mirror at the process reasons that they're here. The lack of shooting around LeBron that I mentioned, like construct, like, um, you know, just the way that they've mismanaged assets in in certain ways, like with the D'Angelo Russell trade. And then like the kind of the Avica Zubox trade, which might've been like, that was probably the worst trade this year. And the worst trade that I can remember in quite some time, especially with the way Mascala, I almost said played since then, but more accurately hasn't played. So they've, they've made a lot of mistakes and they need to look at that and they need to reckon with that in the off season. Like coaching has been a problem. Like I was, I was somebody who thought that Luke got a bad rap early in the season because I don't think that he was really set up for success, but I also don't think that he's really made the best of the hand that he was dealt either. I don't know that he's made things better, even though he wasn't dealt a great hand to begin with. And so like, I do think that just there, there's a lot of momentum towards a change there, I would think. And like, so they, they have to make changes this off season. That much is clear, but at the same time, like injuries are still the biggest factor. If we're looking at why they actually missed the playoffs and why things went so wrong. Sorry, I just want to get one kind of follow-up on that. And just for Luke, you know, it, to me it almost feels like you can't change the front office. You know, Magic and Rob are going to fire themselves. So Luke almost kind of becomes the guy that all the fault lays on. Do you think that's kind of true in any sense? Yeah, I think that that's part of it. And, like, it, there's, there's all the stuff that people always talk about. You know, they didn't hire him. And as much as, as many nice things as they've said about him, like, if you're having to give a vote of confidence to a coach publicly, like, four times in one season, it, it's probably not a great sign for that coach, which is, like, it would seem to be the reverse of what you'd maybe expect if you don't follow sports. But, like, any, I'm assuming everybody that listens to this podcast follows sports. The vote of confidence is not usually a good thing because it usually means that there's something going very wrong and the team is feeling like they need to – in a last ditch attempt to like keep the coach, you know, in charge of the locker room, say like, look, this guy isn't going anywhere type of thing. It's usually not because they actually really, really like the coach. Like when things are going well, guys aren't coming out in the media and saying, you know, Luke Walton's definitely going to finish the year. Probably maybe as long as nothing (laughs) crazy happens. Um, So 
like I think that's part of it. And I think also he's just an easy scapegoat because he's not the guy they hired. He's somebody that fans are already rallying against. And so on some level they can fire him and then they can be like publicly they can be like, well, you know, we saw what we did. We got our coach in now, whoever this guy is, and he's going to solve a lot of the problems from last season. Now, whether that's the case will depend on a lot on who they hire. And then there are deeper issues here that just the, the stuff about the asset management that I mentioned and like – Magic and Palinka are going to have to look in the mirror here and point and see a little bit of blame on themselves. I'm not saying all the blame for the season goes to them, but I do think that they should get more of the blame pie than they've been getting, at least from like most kind of mainstream media. And you you bring up this this blame pie, this you know metaphorical blame pie. And now I guess my question is, I and watching this team in this last part of the season, ever since LeBron came back too. Um, I think LeBron needs to look in the mirror as well. I, th- I think you're right in the sense of Magic Palenka. Yeah. Everybody has to look in the mirror, and that includes LeBron, and it doesn't seem like he is. You know, his, his actions on the court it doesn't look like he's trying half the time. And then, you know, there was the famous clip of him um, going out when they were playing Memphis, and he just let his guy hit the three and then looked around and, you know, was mad at, I think it was Kuz or someone else. Like, you have to be able to take some responsibility for it. How much of that blame pie do you think LeBron has? I think LeBron definitely has a substantial piece of it. And I don't think that it's as much for his play, although that is like, but like, did anybody like, I'll just ask the three of you guys. Like, did any of you expect LeBron to be like a lockdown defender, like a positive defender for like, let's say on aggregate this season, maybe outside of a couple games, did you expect him to be like a really good defender when he signed here? I mean, Absolutely no, not. no this, what he's been doing for the past two or three years in Cleveland is similar to what he's doing here. I just think it's been exposed more here because the, the, Quite honestly, the teams in the Western Conference will expose that more than the teams in the Eastern Conference that he's been playing with for the past two or three years in Cleveland. Um, But about LeBron, I mean, the defense, I don't think, is the main thing. I think a lot of it has to do with his connection to his teammates on the court from even the body body language that you see, you know, especially when he passed MJ's scoring record, you know. The guys come up to him, but it looks almost like a stage, like, oh, we have to go over and high-five him here. There was never a semblance of, um, or so it seemed, of, like, a chemistry with between LeBron and the other guys. I don't know what you thought. Uh, you were probably watching. You've been at the games yourself to see that body language more up close and personal. What, what takeaway do you have there? Yeah, I mean, as an aside, that, that video that uh, I think it was the ringer did of the mic'd up of Alex Caruso where he introduced himself to LeBron during that clip. Like, I don't know if any of you saw that, but that was one of the funniest videos I've seen on social media in uh, like a long time. So anyone that listened to that and somehow missed that video, that was really funny. Um, but the it, like so that that was the point that I was trying to kind of get to with the defense stuff. Like the defense stuff has gotten a lot of like it's gotten exposed here more because frankly, like more people watch the Lakers still than people watch the Cavaliers, even when LeBron was you know, like even when LeBron was like, you know, leading them to title contention and things like during the regular season, there are more people are going to watch the Lakers on average, especially a LeBron James Lakers team that is relevant and in the playoff hunt. So all that stuff's going to get exposed more than it did in Cleveland, where they there was also like kind of, I think, a softer media climate because he had built up so much goodwill there. Um, and, and like, I'm not talking about just the credentialed people. I mean, the bloggers and everything like there was a lot more love for LeBron there than there necessarily is here. And like a, a willingness to overlook his flaws because of how much he had done and how much he was still doing to carry that team especially last year um so like I, the defense thing and like the on the court stuff there's also the injury that he's coming back from that's like groin injuries are no joke and so like if he's a little hampered by that that's not something that i feel like you can really criticize him for the the thing 
where I think he deserves criticism. It's, it goes back to the body language thing that you were talking about. Um, I, I think that like LeBron has never been a great body language guy out on the court. Like he always does. He's very demonstrative and like on some level that's helpful. I think as a teammate, like because you're just communicating directly. Like I can appreciate that. Like where you're not beating around the bush. You're letting me know when you're upset with you. Like all that stuff. Like on some, I think most guys are probably okay with that the majority of the time. But I, I think the the bigger thing was the like at least for me like from the outside looking at it is like how could you not take a little bit of offense as a teammate or feel a little bit distanced by the way that he approached the trade deadline and the way that he approached the Anthony Davis stuff like to give on the record comments about like oh I'd really love to go play Anthony Davis to an ESPN reporter the week leading up to an ESPN televised game against the Pelicans um, and get that ball rolling and get everybody you know on the car wash talking about it and um, you know like get all of that started like that's not accidental LeBron like he tried to play it down as like ask me about would I want to play with Kyrie ask me about what I want to play with Luka Doncic and like he tried to off play it like that's a normal thing for a guy to say to a reporter and exclusive but it's not and you know like don't insult my intelligence and say that it is um but at the same time like, like he knew what he was doing and he knew what that the, the the ball rolling that he was getting there and he was trying to create an opportunity to destabilize the Pelicans a little bit and go after Anthony Davis and then there was his representation who also happens to be his childhood friend made the rare step of making an on-the-record trade demand that Anthony Davis was then fined for and then there was this like coordinated campaign of leaks to make it seem like the to make the pellet that would seem to have been intended to make the Pelicans feel like they had no leverage and like they just had to get a deal done. And they ended up ultimately holding out and there was like a, there was a lot of counter leaks about like the packages the Lakers were offering and I think that they on some level played the Lakers front office in terms of like just blowing up the locker room from perspective of like we're just going to leak out that you offered your entire team uh, and like if you're going to do that because we aren't going to trade with you and now we're just going to try and get you back for the position that you're trying to force us into. And so I think LeBron is somewhat culpable for that. Like this is the fallback that you get when you are, and I'm not, I'm not one of the guys that's sitting out here that he is saying, Oh, he's playing GM LeBron. Like LeBron is not out there doing GM things and in general involved with roster management and things like that. But I do think that this is something where you can look at it as he was trying to get Anthony Davis on the team, right or wrong. Like you can say, like, I think he probably is right to want Anthony Davis on the Lakers. And I think that even his teammates in their heart of hearts, like have to know, okay, Anthony Davis is better than me. I understand this on a human level but at the same time they're like on a logical level they understand that but on a human level how can you not be a little bit insulted by that and be like okay well you know like you're trying to trade me why am I going to risk my health and lay out for this loose ball or go crazy on defense and a lot of people were quick to point to the kids I don't think it was just the kids I think it was more the veterans actually that ended up seeing their names kind of unexpectedly in most rumors that kind of like the Lakers dropped from seventh defensively and Lonzo going down is a big part of this to like last in the league over this time since Lonzo went down and I think that that's the trade rumors and I think that that's Lonzo going down and I think that that's some natural regression to the mean all mixed in there but I, I to me the the biggest hit to LeBron was LeBron like as the teammate and LeBron as the recruiter and all of that stuff yeah, and speaking about like the trade deadline rumors and the drama that may have caused, I know people, you know, Magic had to come out before the Philadelphia game and say, you know, don't treat these kids like babies. They're professionals. They can handle this. You know, that's... after right after he said he was going to hug them. Right. Exactly. I don't, like that. That's just another thing. It's like another perception thing that I, I just think that this front office is inexperienced at. Yeah. So even that week, you know, that's the same. I believe that was the same road trip as the Brandon Ingram. Like where LeBron wants to trade you in Indiana, and so I, I'm. Yes, I, I think it was. People, yeah. You know the, the the notion that 
people are pushing back against, oh, these, these guys shouldn't be affected by trade rumors. They're professionals. To a sense, yes, that's true, but I also believe it has to have some some effect. It's like a non-zero effect of having some negativity in the locker room about that and on the court, like you said. But still, when I look at this Lakers season, like where it stands now, after all these different things, whether it's the roster construction or LeBron or the injuries, I still I still have to go back. And I think you may agree with me. I've seen some of your tweets recently that the injury the injuries that this team has sustained, like they've just never been able to develop a consistent. Um, uh, just chemistry out there because the roster shakeup, you know, even before the, the week that Lonzo got hurt, you know, they beat Oklahoma City. Lonzo had a good game. Kuz had a great game. Then Lonzo goes out. You know, LeBron's out during that time as well. They just never had that starting five really that they wanted to have that season go with. And I, I think that is the biggest thing. Just never been able to develop a, f- a firm footing on the season. Um, and then that exposes the poor roster construction on the fringes of the lineup that was forced into action because of those injuries. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you, you know, you have to plan for your core guys to miss some time and try and build backup so that you can survive because every team deals with injuries. Almost zero teams deal with this level of injuries. And this many guys being out at various different points of time and all of that stuff, like, it, it, it was, it's just been crazy. It's been crazy to cover. Um, it's been crazy to watch, like, the collapse of this team. This was, I expected this to be my first year covering a, a playoff Lakers team, and I'm beginning to think that I'm the problem, like, because they have yet to make it since I started covering them uh the day after Dwight left so um you know I'm gonna be run out of town with like uh torches and pitchforks at some point here if they don't make it soon (laughs) (laughs) well you know I guarantee you Harrison that we won't be the guys to do that to you because we really appreciate your coverage and you know I think we're all on this ride together as kind of Lakers fans and and people work around the media um what I want to know I guess is is, you know the Lakers have kind of entered into tank mode um and you know they're obviously going to get a pretty good draft pick out of it what's the biggest thing they need to do in the offseason to make sure that this doesn't happen again next year. Huh, that's a good, um, you know, like as far as what they need, like they need to recruit another superstar and fill this cap space because if you don't, I think it's just like you can't kick the can down the road another year when you only have after this one guaranteed year of LeBron left and you don't know how many years of guaranteed effective LeBron you have left. So they're not going to trade LeBron like because that, that's just never going to happen. So like you have to maximize his window and which means that you have to make use of this cap space that you like had that you felt like you had to get rid of D'Angelo Russell right away uh, to get off of Timofey Mozgov's deal. And there was like, there was other contacts there, whatever, but like that trade, if they don't sign another star, fill this space with like some meaningful long-term guys this summer and start to build, uh, start to actually build a team of guys that are committed and want to be here and are here long-term. So they aren't feeling like they constantly have to play for their next deal and are buying out as soon as things go tough. Um, I think that you have to build a team this summer on some level. So I I think that starts with recruiting that second superstar. Otherwise, that Moskov trade, I think, looks like a spectacular failure as well because you end up getting, like, you get something out of it, but you almost get nothing out of it because a lot of people like to point to the fact that they got the pick that they used on Kuzma in that trade. But, like, we already know that the Lakers would have been picking a spot later at 28 anyway. They ended up trading back for to get Hart and Thomas Bryant. Thomas Bryant, who they let go for nothing. Hart, who we'll see what happens this offseason, um, but is a very good player. But Hart has not been Kuzma. 
Kuzma to this point. And so, like, really, you're getting heart out of that deal because the Nets have already essentially said that they wouldn't have taken Russell. And I've made this point on Twitter a couple times and had this argument with people. But, like, the Nets have said that they wouldn't have taken Russell, which means that or they wouldn't have taken Kuzma, which means that you could have gotten him 28. So, really, we're talking about you got heart and, like, nothing else if, um, if they don't sign another superstar this summer. Because otherwise, Moskov's deal would have been up by next year and you could have used that cap space anyway. And so... Like, I, they have to get a second superstar this summer, or at least another guy. Like, maybe if it's not a superstar, if it's not Kawhi or KD or like or Kyrie or all these names that you've thrown out there, they, they got to either finish that trade for Anthony Davis, they got to sign, I don't know, Kemba Walker, maybe Jimmy Butler, although the way that he played today on Sunday, like, makes that seem like a le- – that seems like a less enticing proposition by, like, uh, by the game, it seems like, in Philadelphia. Um, but – you know, like I think they just bottom line, they have to build a team this summer of guys that are going to be here and guys that they're committed to because this constant turnover is like it, it's toxic for team culture. Like you just you don't see good teams turning over their roster like this year after year after year, and you don't see well-run teams doing it. Yeah, I mean, we thought that last summer was the biggest summer, the biggest splash with LeBron coming, but I really think that this next summer, especially after the way the season ended, is going to be huge for Magic and Rob because they've kind of shown some struggles here in running this team. Um, whether it's you know the Zubas traders, other poor choices that, that they've made, you know, signing LeBron, LeBron choosing LA kind of hides some of the, kind of kind of masked that last year, but now it's like no, we this. The fans want something to, you know, hang their head on. The Lakers have now lost the most games of any NBA team or whatever the stat was in the past five years. And so I think it's going to be huge for them, um, Magic and Rob specifically, to do something that, you know, moves the needle. And because they thought that needle was going to be moved last summer and clearly that they were wrong. So I'm expecting to see something big and whether, yeah, I mean, I don't know if they're going to, like you said, maybe go for Anthony Davis again, but um, that's just a, such a touchy subject now. So we'll see. A lot, we're going to be expecting uh, some great coverage and I know you'll have it. So we appreciate that. But um, kind of moving off uh, the Lakers a little bit here and just kind of towards your, uh, you know, work now with Silver Screen and Roll. What's the bigger honor? You know, you've been mentioned. You've been mentioned in the New York Times by Mark Stein, and you've been shouted out uh, on Instagram by Kobe. And those are, you know, two pretty big time things. There. Uh, which one do you enjoy the most, or like to brag about the most? Ah, uh, that's a good one. I, well, the Kobe one is in my Twitter bio, so I definitely brag about that one. More. Although I changed my Slack name to Harrison Fagan of the New York Times just to mess with uh, my my coworkers at Silver Screen and Roll. I'm gonna have to go with the Mar- with the New York Times one actually, because like that, you know, ultimately that's the dream job for pretty much anyone who writes is, uh, or at least does like. Uh, you know, like journalism writing is to work there at some point. So to, to have my name in their newsletter was pretty cool. And, you know, like Mark's an awesome guy who I, I've gotten to know pretty well. And, um, you know, like I don't I don't think that Kobe like meant to even forget to crop my byline out of that story. So, like, I'm going to you know, it's it's close, but I'm going to have to go with the New York Times newsletter shout out that I'm not going to lie. You know, you, you make the good points that, you know, New York Times obviously very prestigious. But, um, you know, I would have expected Kobe to be the answer there. And if, if I got shouted out in whatever manner it may have been by Kobe, I think I would mention it multiple times a day for the rest of my life but at the end of the day you're no stranger to you know surprises and hot takes and that kind of you know leads into something that I you know it's been burning since the last time we talked and I've seen you mention it on Twitter a few times and of course whenever you tweet something just about in general someone's going crazy in your mentions but I assume on these days when you decide to talk about your I don't want to say dislike of in and out but how you feel about in and out those mentions go crazy. So I have to ask, 
has it subsided a little bit? Are you still on the I don't like in and out train? Give me an update. No, so I think that I, I think that it was time to start an honest conversation about the way that we talk about in and out online and the way that we talk about a lot of things online. But in and out was the, you know, like the, the avenue that I cho- chose to approach this conversation where it seems like everything on the Internet is either it's the best thing to ever exist or it is it's like unadulterated trash. And like it seems like in and out is at the end of that spectrum where people talk about it. So like people who come to California think that in and out is like this great, amazing West Coast secret, like that is the best thing to ever happen. Like in and out is above average fast food. And like it's pretty good. Uh, and a lot of them, it's not worth the wait, like they because you're gonna have to wait in line for like 30 minutes and a drive-through. And like I just think that like I, I don't think In-N-Out is bad. I just think that In-N-Out is overrated, like many things, by the internet. I think that the internet talks about In-N-Out like it is God's gift to mankind, whereas like In-N-Out is like a pretty good burger. And you know, like I I think that there are far better options out there as far as like just places that you could choose to go and dine. Like maybe not necessarily fast food. I think it's one of the best fast food places but i just think that people just they hype it up a little bit too much and so i've been i've actually seen my mentions get less toxic when i mention this because i think i've started to shift the narrative i think me and uh my colleague pete zayas of laker film room um you know we've just tried to bring the truth to the people like the true journalists that we are and i you know i've seen people getting less mad about this maybe that's because there are so many other things to be more mad about these days so I will say I, I agree with you in the sense of, you know, the Internet does take things, you know, with Deezus and Merrill on Charlemagne the God had a show for like three weeks on MTV2 called I forgot what it was called. And Deezus and Merrill would do a segment on that before they had their own show called literally called Classic or Trash, where it's that same thing. It's like you, <laughs> it's there's something that exists and there's no in between. It's either classic or it's trash. Um, and I agree, and there's, we do need to start that dialogue. Uh, where I disagree is that In-N-Out is not the place because it is God's gift to mankind, and In-N-Out <laughs> is the greatest thing to ever happen to food in general. Um, so we just have a, a fundamental disagreement there. But, you know, I respect your opinion still. Yeah, I don't know that we're ever going to yeah. be able to re- – I think that we've hit, like, an impasse here because I don't know that I'm ever going to be convinced, especially, like, since I'm a vegetarian now. So it's not like I'm going to go back and try, like, In-N-Out again since I've last had it, like, a couple years ago. Although actually, yeah, I mean, I've been to In and Out. Like now, I just get like grilled cheese or whatever, and like because now, yeah. of course, I ended up uh, I ended up becoming engaged to someone who is an In and Out fanatic, and so you have to take people with their flaws. There you go. Well, <laughs> I, I kind of just going off this fast food, and I know you're a vegetarian, so it makes options a little harder. You know, some of the traveling you do anytime you go around. Do you have a place that is your favorite now that you've talked about? I can't remember what you mentioned last time, but if In and Out isn't the place to be, like, where's your go-to spot to eat? Um, well, I actually just went to the Cheesecake Factory tonight. So, like all uh, all the NBA players I cover, I really like that place. Um, I like um, there, there's a place in Costa Mesa called Native Foods that's really good. It's like it's all vegan, I think, but it's like uh, a lot of things are like imitation uh, meat, and like so. I don't know if it's like to somebody that eats meat all the time, if it would taste the same, but to me, it tastes how I remember meat tasting. And so that place is pretty good. Um, and so like, those are two of my uh, more common ones. I like IHOP. So um, like, that's always like a go-to if I'm looking for just like a diner to go right. And like, I like that they give you an entire pitcher of coffee so that you can just refill it yourself and you aren't constantly having to like wave people down for it. So um, like, those are, those are probably my go-to places, which I know is like pretty basic. 
Okay, so I have a few. I had a question that I wanted to ask as well, but I'm going to have to ask one thing because you you said something in there that kind of struck a chord with us here uh, a couple weeks ago. We did a poll on what's better, IHOP or Denny's, and so it sounds like you're going with IHOP. Oh yeah, easily. Like, uh, so if we're doing classic or trash, like IHOP is classic <laughs> and Denny's is trash. If we're, oh. talking, if we're having internet discourse on that. Wow, we disagree again, Harrison. That's a tough one. Except because I, Harrison, I'm on that side. I'm on the IHOP side, but Jesse and Sully are on the Denny's side. So I'll let I them. Think Denny's is great. Like Denny's is a little cheaper. So like I yes. understand. Like if you're just looking for like to get like the most food for the least amount of money, like I, like I'm I'm cool with Denny's. I just personally like IHOP's menu better. I think their omelets are better, and I think their pancakes are better. And uh, I, I like that. I like that they give you the picture of coffee yourself and like I feel like Denny's like they never give me enough refills which I know is like the most neurotic complaint I could ever make I get that no I, you know it's, it kind of goes down to service at that point you know even with you know not just coffee whatever it is you know your water you want it to be refilled quickly so I get that um, and I think that you know I do agree in the sense that the, the pancakes at IHOP are better I just think the rest of the menu is better at Denny's personally but I'm gonna go back to uh, when you were talking about how, you know, places that you like and you were talking about how a lot of players that you cover uh, like Cheesecake Factory, would you say that is the the restaurant that a lot of players would say like you like the most or they like the most? Or is there like a certain I, I restaurant remember, that I don't remember, I wish I could shout out who wrote this, but it was somebody a couple of years ago wrote like a long form feature on why NBA players like love the Cheesecake Factory. And it's one of my favorite, like random, weird, quirky NBA stories that I've ever read, because like that's one thing that I try to find in my coverage as much as I can. It's like find the off the beaten path stories, like the weird stuff. I don't get to do it as much as I like, because especially now that I'm running the website. Um, but I try to do a couple of year that are just like kind of strange stories. And somebody did one on like the NBA secret obsession with the Cheesecake Factory, basically, and, like, why all players love it. So, like, my, I, I have not talked to all these guys about their favorite spots to go on the road. I know Coos is, like, a big Grubhub guy, so, like, he just likes to order food to the hotel room. Um, and I think Lonzo is, too. But as far – like, so I don't know if, like, as far as the Lakers, if they're, like, all big Cheesecake Factory guys, but I know that's, like, an NBA thing as a whole. Yeah, I think – I'm looking it up right now just quick. I see it on, on – no, let me see this. Yeah, I definitely remember reading that article, one of the best ones in the game. I think it's interesting. I think they mentioned just because it's like they could see that they get the same thing every time they go. Every cheesecake factory they go to, they know what they're going to get into. And I think yeah, it's reliable, very common. which is nice. Yeah, like exactly. that's one of the things that I like about IHOP is like it, like there's predictability to it. Like sure, sometimes it's fun to find the hole in the wall place. Like I mentioned, Native Foods. Like that's not a place that's tremendously I think well known like nationally or whatever. And it's a place in my neighborhood that I like, or in the neighborhood where my parents live that I like. And um, but like there's something to be said for predictability because like if you go to a place you've never been before there's like high ceiling low floor potential whereas like sometimes you just want you, that you know the, like what you're going to get and you know that you like it already definitely definitely <laughs> well we like even that analysis of the Jesse's food question is impeccable and we expect nothing less from you Harrison we appreciate uh, you taking the time um, and you know at, at the end of each show we want to ask if our guests have any other super hot interesting takes or shout outs do you have anything you'd like to shout out or any other takes about whether it's food or the Lakers or any predictions for the season or any, just anything that you want to kind of get off your chest here the floor is yours before we close up shop all right, so my bold prediction, the Lakers are going to make the playoffs. They're, um, like, all their opponents. No. Um, <laughs> I, I was joking with I – was, I was joking. I was just – I actually went to dinner with my parents tonight, and I was messing with my dad, like, trying to convince him that the Lakers were going to make the playoffs. I was, like, breaking down the schedule on my phone and, like, acting totally serious about it. And then, like, he was giving me this look like like he had raised a failure, and then <laughs> I, I had to let him know that I was kidding. Um, but – 
so I, I as far as takes, I don't know that I have like I don't know that I can top like my in and out as average take because <laughs> um you, like that seems to be the one that gets me the most hate online still no matter what I say about the bat, about the team. Although I will say like okay, actually I have a take. I I am tired of stands. Um, like I think the covering LeBron experience and like the you can't say anything that somebody can even interpret as negative about him <laughs> and it's like you have like 20 LeBron fan like 23 six accounts tweeting at you like his stat line from tonight like oh you want him to do it? like I, I think there was one time a couple weeks ago I tweeted like everybody on the Lakers needs to do more right now like it was pretty it was like pretty innocuous like it was after a blowout loss and somebody's like LeBron had 27 11 and 9 you think he needs to get like what like 28 like 12 and like 10 or something and like what you think he isn't producing enough and I'm like okay basketball is not just what you did in the box scores cliche of the statement as that is to make now and I don't know I'm just like I'm tired of stand culture in general. It's not just LeBron stands, although I do think that he has one of the most active stand bases in the NBA um, and one of the most vitriolic ones. Like I, I actually said this on a podcast a couple weeks ago when, on the Silver Screen Roll Show um, that I think Kobe fans get a bad rap sometimes, which got a reaction from uh, some, of the Cle- some of the Cleveland guys that we had on that show. Um, but I, I just in general am tired. Like I understand that you're going to have your favorite players and whatever. It, it's it's not even the people that follow the player from team to team, whatever. Like if you don't have a team in your geographical area, like if you just have a guy that you really like, like I totally respect that. It's the people that take it to the length of like anything, even maybe negative you say about that player. They're like all over you and just like upset, like really, really mad and toxic in your mentions. Like I'm just tired of it. I don't know. I don't know how much you guys have to deal with this on a, Like I'm just tired of like, it almost goes back to the like to the classic or trash thing. It's like some some people think that, and I'm using LeBron as an example. He's not the only guy that this happens with. It happens with some members of the young core too. But like there there are people that just think that their favorite player is flawless and will defend them no matter what they do. And it's like all these all these people are fallible. Like you can criticize my work, you can criticize any of your work, you can criticize. Like part of our job is to talk about and analyze how these guys are doing. And like I'm gonna give I'm gonna try and give my honest opinions, but like you don't have to take that as some tremendous personal slight or like act like you have to defend like a grown man online. I'm totally with you on that Harrison. I, I covered Kansas out here and K state. Oh, absolutely. Oh my goodness. The Kansas fans. Like I always get like a KU B ball four, seven, three, eight with a Jayhawk as their Twitter <laughs> icon, just blowing up my mentions. Any, like if it's a small mistake, if it's just something they don't agree with, they say on air, always go back to my desk and have a tweet from someone I'm tired of it. I I know a couple people that uh, that went there and like covered the team a little bit. Like uh, they're they're definitely they're special. It's a special fan base. Yeah, you're you're friends with Scott Chasen, right? Yes. There you go. Him him and I have talked a little bit about you, but I know he deals it on a much higher level than I do. All those guys do. Anyone that covers the beat of Kansas has to fear the wrath of all the fans at all times. <laughs> it's true. Harrison, um, that was definitely uh, the, the take we wanted. We want super hot, interesting takes, and that was definitely you know, definitely fit the bill, so we appreciate that. Um, you know, Despite this Lakers season, uh, how badly it went, uh, the coverage that you guys have done at Silver Screen Roll has been awesome, and we've enjoyed following it throughout the whole season, and we look forward to following it more in the summer. As we said, it's going to be a huge summer. Uh, are you going to have any off-season plans between the you know, end of regular season and free agency? Are you going to get a break at all? Because you've been working hard this year well the so i'm hoping to but we'll see because like here's how i'm i've been talking to people about this a little bit but like here my prediction for the how the offseason goes is 
that it starts off with like Luke getting fired, like either like the night the season ends or the day after or whatever, like pretty soon after. I, I don't think that they're going to wait long. And then we're going to get the coaching search that we have to cover. And then we're going to get the fallout from whoever they pick. And then by the time that's over, we're going to be getting pretty close to, you know, draft and free agency rumors. And I'm just hoping that like all of this stuff wraps up like that they don't have that this isn't like the Kyrie situation where it's extending into August like a couple years ago with the Celtics like because I uh I I have vacation plans in August so I'm just gonna be honest so like (laughs) the Lakers could just not make a trade like from like beginning of August to like mid-August when I'm in Hawaii that would be fantastic but um (laughs) as far as between the end of the regular season and when everything starts again it's gonna depend a lot on how quickly they pick their next coach and stuff like that but I'm hoping to because uh I graduate this semester from college. I'm finally finishing after uh, like 10 years in school. So on and off. So um, I'm ready to be done with that. And I'm ready to uh, like go relax a little bit after that. But we'll see if the, if the team lets me. Yeah, we, we hope you get some time off there. Uh, again, congratulations on the graduation, too. So it's a huge year, uh, engagement, graduation, uh, covering LeBron. Um, again, we appreciate it so much that you take the time to talk with us here on Cautiously Optimistic. And um, where can we find you? Twitter, uh, anywhere else, any other plugs before we let you go? Yeah, uh, so on Twitter it's at HM Fagan. Uh, that's H M F A I G E N. So that's that's the primary place where that's my primary social media. I also have a professional Facebook page that you can like if you want. I think it's Harrison Fagan Lakers. Um, my Instagram is uh, at Fake News. So, but that's mostly just for like it's mostly a personal page. I post some work stuff on there, but it's more of a personal page. Um, and then like just uh, check out our podcast on iTunes. It's the Silver Screen. It just search Silver Screen and Roll and iTunes. Uh, I believe we're on spotify like pretty much everywhere podcasts are found i think you can find us at this point um so the silver screen roll podcast it's myself and anthony irwin host shows for tuesday mornings and then we have other hosts throughout the week from the site staff and other people from the lakers community so um i've been really uh that's been like a big project for me over the last couple months has been getting that up off the ground and managing that so uh we're actually just set to as of i guess today i'm assuming this will release on monday right yes so as of Monday, we will have our, uh, our our Monday show is kicking off with uh, Sabrina Merchant and Sasha Shaw. Uh, I'm really excited for them to get going here because I've been working on bringing them in for a while. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it's it's a feed where you can listen. To, it's just like our site. You can get, like, all of the Lakers news that you need, but with different opinions and voices. So if there are certain hosts you agree with, you don't agree with, you want to hear different perspectives, you're going to get a lot of them. And so because uh, we have different sets of hosts each day. And so, uh, you know, building that out has been a challenge but it's been a fun project and i think that we're going to be able to give lakers fans something special awesome thank you so much harrison we appreciate the time hopefully uh, like we said you get some time off because you've been working hard but that's pretty much it uh, you can follow him as he said hm fagan at twitter harrison fagan of silver screen and roll and that interview was brought to you by our friends at lucky boy a great sponsor of this podcast, and we're happy to have them with us as we head to the finish line here. Lucky Boy is a wonderful place on Arroyo Parkway, as you know, Jesse. The catering hours are Monday through Sunday, 6.30 a.m. to 7 p.m. on orders that exceed $300, and there's no minimum for pickup, but Jesse, why don't you tell the people about what it's like to actually go to the restaurant, sit down on that patio, and enjoy all the offerings they have? Well, there's nothing better, Nick. At the end of the day, whether it's 6 a.m., you know, and you're just waking up, or it's 6 a.m. and you're just getting back home from a night out. They're always voted best late night eats. You go sit on that patio, it's a great time. Ingest, inhale, all of that, get a nice burrito, breakfast burrito, of course, or a shrimp plate. 
if you're feeling kind of frisky, or a garden burger if you're feeling vegan. You know, do your thing out there, but whatever it is, your thing is happening at Lucky Boy. But again, if you can't get there and sit on that patio, they do cater, as Nick was talking about. But so, how can you even get in contact with them to do the catering? Man, there are plenty of ways to do it. You can obviously text or call them, and you can see that number available when we post the podcast. They'll be right below, but it's 626-437-3167. Also, you can go on social media, Facebook page, got it for you. Lucky Boy Pass the D, drop the A, but you get a burrito in exchange. That's all good. Also on Twitter, at Lucky underscore Boy underscore Restaurants on Instagram as well. So it's all that good stuff, folks. You can go check them out on social media, grab a burrito, do it for me. Have a great time. And moving over to the NFL, we finally have some action here in terms of player movement since the Super Bowl. One of the biggest names on the market, Antonio Brown, has officially made his move not to Buffalo, not to Buffalo, but to the other coast, to California, as of now at least, to the Oakland Raiders. A lot of people are saying this is a fleecing for the Raiders, taking a third and fifth round pick for one of the generational type receivers here, one of the best of all time. How do you guys view this trade? Uh, what's going on with the Steelers? And does Antonio Brown make the Raiders a legit contender now? Uh, legit contenders, I mean, com- they're going to still th- in the same division as the Chargers and, you know, like in the AFC West there. So it's, you know, that's, that's going to be. Chiefs. Yeah, and the Chiefs. So, like, that's. Are they a legitimate contender this next year? Probably not. Um, but Antonio Brown obviously makes them better. And the fact that they only gave up. A third and a fifth is huge because they still have all three of their first round picks. Yeah, three first round picks this year. So that to see what they do with those is also going to be very, very interesting. But um, it makes them better contending for the, the, the divisional crown. Probably not just because, like I said, the Chiefs and the Chargers are just still better than them. Um, but, you know, Gruden. You know, he's done some interesting things with the Khalil Mack, and, but he's stockpiled some picks and he had some there to give. And to go and get an Antonio Brown, you got to respect that. Yeah, I mean, you can't be mad about getting Antonio Brown. I guess they'll break down your questions there. You know, obviously, they did fleece uh, uh, the Steelers. The Steelers really now have lost Brown and Bell and are only going to get a third and fifth round pick out of it, basically, which is pretty bad. Um, for two of the best players in the NFL, and, and but to go forward with the Raiders, you know they have issues beyond that. You know I, I think they had a lot of injuries to deal with last year, but still, when you're building a team, you got to build from the inside out. You know when you trade Khalil Mack, although now it kind of sort of balanced out. They they really warranted for that initially, but now with all the stock pick stockpiled picks and getting Antonio Brown, it seems a little better. But if you don't have the players around to kind of utilize an elite wide receiver, it doesn't matter. You know, who's going to be on the other side of him. That was part of the reason he was so good with Pittsburgh is because they ran their whole offense through him and bell. So you kind of had to pick and choose there and bell is such a good receiving running back that it made it easier for Antonio Brown. And then on top of that, Derek Carr, they're talking about drafting a quarterback this year. They're talking about replacing him, retraining him. You got to have a solid quarterback back there as well as a line to protect him. Um, you know, right now I think the Raiders projected one of their picks, I believe the later first round to take, a guy I covered this year, Dalton Reisner, is a, a, an offensive lineman. You know, so they're looking to rebuild that core right there. Um, I think obviously, you know, adding a player like that does make you better. But are they better than the Chiefs? Not even close. Are they better than the Chargers? Not even close. And even you take the last team in the division, the Broncos, new head coach there. They got Joe Flacco now. Um, you know, say what you will about him, but he at least is consistent to a certain degree. Uh, if and they still have a really good defense. You know, they are certainly going to be better than last year if their coach that comes in can make a difference there. So. Um, and great for the Raiders, but there's still a lot of work to do for Gruden and the boys at, uh, in Oakland for the, for the next year. 
Yeah, I agree. I think there's still some time uh, for the Raiders to iron out some other you know issues on that team. But having Antonio Brown is, cer- is certainly a step in the right direction. But about Antonio Brown, I, I want to go back to him personally for a second because I think this is a huge win for him and you know for a lot of other star football players. We saw it first a little bit totally. with, Le- with Le'Veon Bell, you know, kind of taking a page out of the NBA's book with the player empowerment, you know, Le'Veon doing the holdout, doesn't report, and, you know, eventually becomes a free agent, gets his way. We'll see what becomes of it and, you know, what kind of deal he gets. But for Antonio Brown, a player who is still, you know, one of the best in the game to kind of dictate this all on his terms um, in, in an age where that doesn't really happen for football players, especially with all the, you know, talk and, and infusing politics with uh, football. But, you know, Antonio Brown, with, I guess a deal was in place for him to go to Buffalo, kind of a, a slap, a, a, like an FU move by the Steelers to send him out to Buffalo. But Antonio Brown said, no, you know, I'm, I'm not going there. And, you know, what we can talk about players not reporting to new places and, you know, forcing the team's hand. But that's exactly what Antonio Brown did. And he has, you know, the, the cachet, I guess you could say, to make that move. So it was good for him. I thought it was good to see that out of him, you know, not just taking the banishment to Buffalo and, uh, you know, sure, you know, he's under contract and he he technically does have to report to a new place, but, you know, he knows his value. He knows what his sway is and for him to force his way to it or kind of like redirect his, his destination, I thought was awesome. What do you guys think about that? Yeah. Not only that, but like he restructured his contract. So he was receiving zero guaranteed money with Pittsburgh. And now I think it's 17 mil. So not only that, He's getting guaranteed money now in the way that his contract works through the trade. So that's another thing where he just bossed up. And, you know, he's taking a page out of Le'Veon's playbook. He said, you know what, I'm willing to do this. And now it's a little different in the sense that running back contracts and wide receiver contracts are so different. You know, people like we've talked about on this podcast before, people don't want to pay a running back that much because, you know, how short the shelf life is. Whereas a receiver's contract and receiver's shelf life, their, their career life is a lot longer. So someone like Antonio Brown, it, when he gives that threat to sit out, it means a little more because people will do that. Whereas people are going to say, well, Le'Veon, yeah, you may be a top three running back in the NFL, but for how long, you know, so we're going to let you sit out or we're not going to sign you to that long-term deal that he wants. Whereas Antonio, I mean, he's already under contract anyway, so it's just a trade. It was a little easier, but I love it. I love seeing guys taking control of their future, you know, in every level from college ball, even to the NBA. And I think those NFL players, like you said, they're looking at the NBA and what these guys are doing. And they're like, well, why can't we do that? And, you know, it's going to be a long time. You know, it's not going to just happen, you know, with Le'Veon and Antonio Brown. There's going to be more people that are going to end up having to do this. Um, Like a quarterback's going to do it. And like these kind of things are going to happen. But I think they're on that right direction. Yeah, I mean, well, think of that. I mean, look at the NBA. We'll just look at the MLB on top of that. Look yeah. at the Harper contract. You just signed 13 years, $330 million. Any NFL player would die for a contract like that. And you look at it, the biggest argument is always, okay, well, you know, they're going to get hurt. We don't want to pay a running back because they're going to have the knees blown out. The wide receivers are going to get blown up, something like that. But uh, it almost seems at this point that you, you have just as many stars in other leagues that get hurt that don't live up the expectations of the contract. It's just part of sports. It's part of athletics. You never know when you take the risk of signing someone like that. That's just what it is. So for Antonio to, to get his own money, guarantee that money for himself and his family, uh, that's huge. You know, that's absolutely what every NFL player should be trying to do. Um, you know, you, you can never criticize someone for that. Obviously, I, I think any criticism for him would have been more so on kind of quitting on his team at the end of the year. But as far as getting that money and getting things going in his own life, there's there's no issue with that here from, I think, any of us on the podcast, obviously. Um, and it's something that the league, you know, when you look at, you can just cut players and they get no, you know, unless they have guaranteed money, they're getting nothing out of it. Whereas, you know, in the NBA, MLB, it's a little different. There's still 
ways where players are going to get paid if they have the contract. But in the NFL, it's just so ruthless that it makes that tough. And you can never fault a man for going out and doing that. Yeah, and I thought it was fun, interesting you mentioned you know um, that part too cause of, of you know blaming the team and all of that. Then he goes on LeBron James's The Shop. And he's talking about Big Ben and he's talking about that whole scenario. And he's talking about the scenario where, you know, people were saying he quit on his team. But you look at it and he said, you know, I just need some time to get ready. I'm banged up. This is Antonio Brown's words. You know, take it how you will. But however that conversation Uh, went, we're only getting one side of that story. But his side of the story is I'm I'm banged up and I just need a couple days. Um, And then his coach just says, go home. Don't worry about it. You know, and so then, again, uh, we don't know Mike Tomlin's side of that, but that's just what he told us. So if that's true, then, you know, that confuses things a little more also. Yeah, that's true. There's definitely multiple sides to that. And I think obviously, you know, I, just kind of the, the character of Big Ben has made himself over his choices over the years. I tend to lean towards Antonio Brown yeah. probably in that sense. But at the same time, you know, Brown, uh, I guess, does show a lot of emotion when he plays. And that's, you know, just talking, going back to our conversation with Harrison, it's just like LeBron, like, he gets emotional, but LeBron is also, you know, I think a great person, and people can look beyond that. Uh, I don't think enough people, I guess, get the benefit of the doubt for that, but that's just how he plays football, and that's how he approaches athletics. Is he's just an emotional guy, the strength and a weakness, but it makes him who he is either way. Yeah, I'm excited for uh, Antonio Brown in Vegas. I'm sure the Las Vegas fans are excited to have a. Uh, you know, star player to to welcome a star player in once they move make that move to Las Vegas and uh, for the Steelers, I don't know. That's just a tough situation for them. They've pretty much been uh, handled handled their two stars as poorly as you probably could have. Um, and I don't know. Their future looks awfully dim right now. So I don't know about that. But uh, moving over to another team and another player that we're all pretty familiar with, uh, Jesse. You have another new quarterback, you know, Alex Smith, future uncertain after the bad injury. But uh, tell us a little bit, a little bit about uh, the new guy coming into town. Yeah. So Case Keenum. It's another name uh, to the PFT Washington quarterback shirt uh, that we've all seen and love. Um, you know, Case Keenum. I'm happy. It's, we're paying him three and a half million. Uh, and we just swapped rounds, and it's not first and second round. We got we only gave up a sixth round pick, and then we got a seventh in return, um, and we only pay three and a half mil. And what I like about it most is now there's a lot of talk that we we're going to go reach and try and uh, draft someone high in the in the draft and trade picks to go up and draft a quarterback. Now we can just let someone fall to us, and if like a Drew Lock is available they can take him in the first at their actual spot and not try and trade up and do anything. We don't have to go crazy and try and trade for Josh Rosen. Um, just just let it chill. They're saying they're comfortable letting Case start for a year if they have to. Um, so, wow, is Case going to lead us to a Super Bowl? Probably not. Um, you know, but you guys have both had him. What's the Case Keenum experience? I'll start it off, I guess, because I'm a little more recent than, than Nick was. You know, we'll go back and reverse chronological order there, but uh, consistent. Uh, you know, he's a guy that, you know, Mike Zimmer called me you know, one of the toughest guys he's ever coached. He's going to get out there. He's not going to miss downs unless he absolutely has to. Going to make his mistakes. Obviously, he had that special year in Minnesota. Um, not to say that he's not capable of that again, but I think on average, he's going to be somewhere a little below that. But if you can get him some protection and get him a little talent out there as well, you know, he, he, can, he can make some things happen. You know, there are definitely worse people to have uh, under center in the NFL. Yeah, you know, Case Keenum was the quarterback that I followed during my first year of Rams fandom, which, of course, was the the terrible Rams year. And, yes, I followed those games, and Case Keenum was that quarterback, and I was a Rams fan during that time as well. 
Case Keenum started over Jared Goff. He was a veteran. He got the job. Jeff Fisher, you know, put him in there over Jared Goff. We can debate that. That was probably not the best decision. But, you know, he was serviceable. The team just wasn't that solid around him. You know, the the offense just wasn't suited well for really any quarterback because even Jared Goff struggled with under Jeff Fisher. And we saw what happened when he went with Sean McVay. But, you know, as, as, as Sully saw, you know, he's a serviceable guy. He can make plays when you need to. Obviously not elite, but uh, we'll get the job done, I, w- I would say. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to that. You know, a little Case Keenum action uh, just to round out this trio of us having him. That was very <laughs> poorly worded, but you know what I mean. We've all got a case of Keenum. Oh, God. That, see, I thought I worded <laughs> mine poorly, and that was the worst. Yeah, that was pretty bad. So we'll see. You know, we got uh, free agency coming up in, I guess, two days when this podcast drops. I believe it's March 13th, the first day. So we'll have more for you next week on this. And, uh, you know, that's a little look at the NFL for you, kids. This episode of Cautiously Optimistic is also brought to you by Challenger Hair Care, our friends sponsoring the episode again. And they are introducing the new Challenger Shower Trio Sampler Pack. Now this comes with Challenger's premium tea tree shampoo, awesome hydrating conditioner, and the new fresh body wash. And not only that, Nick, plus people who order one will also receive a free sampler of Challenger's most popular hairstyling product. That's of course the Challenger Matte Cream Pomade. This trio plus the bonus is free, plus shipping and is available to everyone in the US. Hold up, wait a minute, let me put some free up in it. Visit challengercare.com backslash free, that's challengercare.com backslash free. Add a shower trio sampler to your cart as you should. Use the code TRYFREE, that's T-R-Y-F-R-E-E. If you can't spell at checkout for free U.S. shipping, that's double free. Always good for your boys at Consciously Optimistic and our friends over at Challenger Haircare. are only, when this podcast dropped, 18 days away from the official opening day of the Major Leagues, and we now, since we last talked, you know, I believe I made the uh, prediction at the end of the podcast that Bryce Harper was going to be a Dodger, and obviously we all know now that is not true, so that's a good look for me there, a good little prediction there from a big capital J journalist, but either way, Harper, 13 years, $330 million to the Phillies. Uh, guys, what were your initial reactions when that happened? I know I was shocked. My initial reaction was not that surprised in terms of the team that he went to. We've we've had some discussions on here before that the Phillies were obviously you know one of the top contenders to land him, but then when I saw the contract terms, thirteen years, three hundred thirty million, he's going to finish this up with no opt outs by the way. So he's going to finish this up when he's thirty nine, essentially signing off the rest of his career to play in Philadelphia. That was the surprising part to me. You know, I guess he just wanted some stability. Uh, the reasons, you know, that have been coming out after the fact that he just wanted to never have to deal with this free agency circus anymore and just kind of have that security going forward. That was the surprising part to me. Um, I think for the for us as Dodger fans, looking at it in that in that lens, it's like, okay, it's Bryce Harper. He's on an NL NL East team again. Uh, the Dodgers, I think, are still better than the Phillies at this point. Um, good for him to get the money. Good for you know for other players going forward into the collective bargaining agreement. But um, Bryce Harper, I don't know. I would assume, I would have assumed there'd be more opt-outs, but that's just me. Yeah. I was surprised and hurt 
surprised because of the contract and, and hurt because, I mean, it was no secret that, you know, Bryce Harper is one of my favorite players in the league and, you know, the Nationals are my second favorite team and, you know, I wanted Bryce on the Dodgers. That's just what it was. But then seeing the contract, you know, he could have signed from the reports that were coming out. He could have signed, what, like a three-year, 40 or 45 mil per year and that puts him at 29 re-entering free agency. And if that's was the main reason that he just didn't want to do free agency again, sure, whatever. But, you could have made like 10 mil more a year, more than 10 mil more a year, and then re-entered free agency and still got a 10-year, probably 300, assuming he plays the way that we all know Bryce Harper can play. He's going to re-up and get that contract again so he could just earn more in these first three, then go and get your long-term where you never have to worry about free agency again. It didn't make sense to me. Um it's odd. I hate the Phillies. I've always hated the Phillies since the Shane Victorino days. And now Bryce Harper, one of my favorite players in the MLB, is on a team that I hate, and it hurts. Yeah, and Sully, I just want to ask you quickly. I know you made the prediction about it, but it was almost – we were talking on that last podcast about, as Jesse just mentioned, the uh, you know a- average annual value of the sal- uh, the salaries. And I know Machado signed the three uh, the 10-year $300 million, so he's making $30 million a year. And then you have Bryce Harper. His is you know longer years, longer money, and it's less per year. So – the Dodgers, I heard, were going to offer uh, like a four-year, $45 million per year uh, salary. But, Sully, do, do you think the Dodgers were ever going to consider a deal like what the Phillies gave him? No. I mean, that was an issue. You know, I think you guys both kind of touched on it. Where, like, this is what it comes down to ultimately. Uh, it's just a personal choice. He wanted to be somewhere for the rest of his career. He didn't want to deal with this kind of stuff. And you can call him a mistake. You can call him whatever it is. But. I guess, I don't know, you know, I've never, I don't know if I'll ever see this kind of money. I don't know if any of us will even combined when you're talking about 300 million, 330 million compared to 120 so million over the next couple of years. I mean, it's so much money. Maybe you almost kind of lose sight of the fact that a couple million here, a couple million there doesn't matter as much when you can rely on where you're going to be for the next decade plus, we're going to end your career and what you can concentrate on and, and hopefully win ball games if you're that player. So for him, you know, when you look at the Dodgers and the Phillies, the biggest thing too is just they have great young rosters. They have young cores that they can build around, and adding Bryce Harper is just an ideal part of that. Uh, it gives the Phillies a really deep lineup, and uh, you know it'll be a tough time to be a Nationals fan going forward. You know, they, I think I saw a couple tweets about that, but just the lineup they put together maybe two or three years ago with the pitching staff that they have, it's amazing that they didn't even get out of the divisional series. So. Um, I guess, you know, good for Bryce Harper. You know, we were just talking about the same thing with Antonio Brown about getting that money and getting it guaranteed and knowing where you're going to be. Uh, Bryce Harper did the same thing, so you can't really fault him for that. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to see that at the same time, the same month that we're talking about Anthony Davis trying to force his way out of New Orleans and all these NBA players, you know, trying to, you know, link up in free agency perhaps, you know, Kevin Durant, all this stuff. And then we see Bryce Harper just saying, you know what, I'm fine being in Philadelphia for 13 years. I don't foresee any reason that I want to leave. I'm not going to do any opt-outs. I think it's just kind of interesting, the dichotomy between those two sports at this time. Yeah, I, I think it is interesting, and I agree with you. It's crazy, you know, I think the, the difference is there. The one thing I will say, though, I, I feel like I would almost bet against the fact that he would end his career there. You know, it just doesn't ever seem to work out like that. There's so few guys that can stay consistently with the, with the team for that long. Uh, I know it's 13 years. I know the kind of he's like 39. First off, who's to say he's not going to be, you know, he's a very athletic in shape guy. He may still be playing and want to go beyond that. We've seen multiple guys now, Chase Sutley, for example, for the Dodgers just extended his career. Um, you know, guys who just 
uh, want to keep playing the game. Like he seems like that kind of guy to me, a guy that never wants to put down the bat. Who knows? Maybe he goes to an AL team after that contract. So maybe he gets traded at some point when there's enough. You know, if he's 33, there's six years left. The time that you know, you know that would be what seven years in the future. You got to assume there's going to be some kind of inflation for the player signing contracts. There'll be bigger and better contracts since that point. Like when the Dodgers got to sign a Walker Bueller or something. And who knows? Maybe teams going to be willing to take on six years of. Uh, over the home Bryce Harper for you know 120 million or whatever it may be. Yeah, who knows? Maybe not even going to the American League would do the trick. Maybe by then the National League will have the DH with all that talk that's going around now. You know, it's still up in the uh, air. I hope, um, I hope not. Yeah, me neither. I hope not. As I hope not either. But um, it, you know, it's up in the air. And also up in the air is Clayton Kershaw's status for opening day. They seem to be saying that he's improving. He's trending upwards. Still has some soreness in the shoulder. Um, may not get the start. Uh, probably will be Walker Bueller if it's not Kershaw or maybe Rich Hill to kind of give the veteran a little like hat tip there. But are you guys any more concerned than we talked last time about Clayton Kershaw? I don't know if concerned is the word. I mean, like like I said last time, like a little more concerned, sure, just because you know new details and he's not throwing or whatever. But you know, I'm, I'm of the boat where it's like even if it is worse than we may have originally thought, like we have a good enough lineup to just be like, all right, we can let you be fully healthy. You know, we don't 100% need him in March and April. So, you know, like let him recover fully and we'll be okay till he gets back. That's just my thought. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Just, you know, I think that the thing is just opening day starts are so overblown and like, yeah, you want to have a consecutive streak of opening day starts and this and that and whatever you want to call it. But the fact is, like, it's a 162-game season. Like, so what if he has some shoulder inflammation? Let him take his time, get that done. Um, you know, the, I think the old saying is, you know, you can't win the division in April uh, or, or May, but you can lose a division in that time. And, and that's the thing. It's like the Dodgers are so talented that that's not going to be the issue for them. So let this guy take his time, get ready, be prepared for October so we don't have to deal with losing another World Series again. Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Like, it's... Don't rush this. You know, the Dodgers have a deep rotation as it is. Um, obviously, it's whenever you see Kershaw having s- struggles with an injury, it's like you don't have a good feeling inside. But at the same time, you're confident in this depth of this team, uh, the talent that's been assembled, that they can kind of carry the squad further um, in April and May. I don't think it's going to be the struggles like that the Dodgers experienced last April and May. Um, you know, Urias uh, is looking good in spring training. Bueller, too. Rich Hill. Every, everything is seemingly going smoothly heading into the season besides this Kershaw stuff. So not not too much to worry about. And uh, Sully, I don't know if you wanted yeah. to talk a little bit about Adam Jones, another uh, pretty big name free agent uh hadn't signed for a while but finally did uh coming into the national league west joining the diamondbacks yeah personally just end up a cursor just wrap it up on my side yeah i dealt with that same injury that he's got and basically it just comes from like going back and throwing the program too fast so it's not something to worry about i think it just gets overblown because he has that history of injuries but yeah go to adam jones signing within the nl west they're going to the diamondbacks a good fit for them obviously the dodgers swooped aj pollock so they need someone to patrol out there uh, in the very, very large center field down in Arizona. Uh, really good ball player, man. I, I almost had wanted the Dodgers to sign him. Uh, I know he's a little older than what the Dodgers prefer to sign and, uh, and probably was looking for more years. But uh, Jones is just a quality player. So, uh, I mean, it's just another weapon in Arizona. I don't know if that team's going to be as good without Paul Goldschmidt, but, um, you know, it, it's never good for the opposing teams when you can add a quality MLB defensive and offensive player like Andy Jones. Yeah, and well, wasn't that contract super small? Like, I'm, I, I don't know exactly what it was, but I, I want to say I saw like three million, or, or maybe I'm tripping, but like, I feel like the contract no, he got it wasn't, was wasn't that big. 
And like the contract um, he got, he, he deserves more money than what he got. Um, and, you know, it made you think, yeah, like, so oh, what, what, what really was happening? Like, who was actually going after him if that's what he decided to go with? You know, because, yeah, the Diamondbacks are a contender. They made the playoffs, you know, whatever. But it's like in the sense of are they really a World Series contender? No. So, like, is he – it's not a ring-chasing thing. So if, if he's taking that contract, it, it was a weird signing to me. Yeah, I agree. One year, three million dollars the contract. It definitely is just—he just seems to me like a guy that loves baseball. And obviously, being where he was with the Orioles, they're so bad. He had to go somewhere. And um, I mean, just a lot of the good teams just don't have outfield spots. That was probably the best opportunity for him to be able to play every day. I think that's a big part of it as well. Yeah, you mentioned him being a good guy, Sully. It's like he uh, had the option to be traded from the Orioles, and he—you know—he's like, no, I'll stick it out here. Like I owe it to the city of Baltimore. He was kind of the face of that team along with Manny Machado for many years, and it was interesting to see him not push his way out of Baltimore during that terrible season last year. Um, but yeah, I mean, Diamondbacks, they could definitely use him. I'm sure he will enjoy playing um, in Arizona. It's a nice place to live, nice place to hang out. So again, as you said, Jesse, he probably not uh, doesn't really move the needle in terms of their level of competitiveness. Uh, Dodgers are still going to win that division in my mind, but um, good, just, to, good to see him. Just a quick note, Arizona, nice place to live and hang out. I don't know if I fully agree with you there. Weather-wise is what I was talking about, um, but I think guys do enjoy it. It's not cool at all. It's... <laughs> No, <laughs> unless unless you're going to U of A or Arizona State, then like, and you're 20 well, or 19, then yeah, sure, great place to live and hang out. But you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I would want to live in Arizona. One of the coolest moments in his career, that catch he made in the World Baseball Classic, robbing the home run. You always gotta show him some love for that, and you know that's something he's capable. Maybe not that extent anymore at his age, but he'll still make some plays out there in center down for the D-backs. And now it's time for the fast food flavor. Fast food flavor. Fast food flavor. Swan, what's on the menu this week? Well, one of our favorite restaurants has come back with a brand new fresh item. That's the Taco Bell Rattlesnake Burrito. And, you know, I was thinking about it and I saw the ads for it and I was very excited to try it because, I don't know, the rattlesnake, it just, it's mysterious. You know, what's what's in the rattlesnake burrito? It's got to have a bit of a bite, you would assume. And sure enough, it does because it's got jalapenos in it, some cheese, has a little bit of jalapeno sauce in there as well, and some fries. It comes in a burrito form and in like nacho fry form as well. Um, so you know what we had to do. We had to go try the rattlesnake burrito. And I liked it, you know, you guys might know this about me, I'm not a huge fan of jalapeno in general, but for the fast food flavor, you already know I'm gonna go try it with all the ingredients in it, and that includes the jalapeno. I like the jalapeno sauce that they mix in there as well, um, and then the jalapenos actually are pretty good. Um, there, there definitely is a little bit of a bite. If you can't handle jalapenos, probably don't do this one because you will taste jalapeno, there's a good amount of them in there. But if you do like jalapeno, this is your burrito. Um, Good size, good price. It's really, really a nice thing to eat. You can eat it on the way to wherever you're going in the car. That was my first uh, eat. I've had it twice now. My first time was a was a car eat. You know what I'm saying? You, so you pop that bad boy open and eat it in the car with a nice Baja Blast by your side. And on the swine scale rating, it comes out to a solid 83. I didn't think it was you know one of the best Taco Bell items ever, but it, it's very good. It's a, a solid 83. And I'm happy with it. I'll definitely go back and have another one, and I'm going to try the fries as well for you. Uh, have either of you had it? Yes, sir. Swino, I had to get out there. I didn't even know this thing was being marketed or advertised. 
I just kind of was driving through Taco Bell. You know, it's one of here in Topeka. One of the downfalls, I would say, is that not many restaurants are open late. So really, you know, after midnight, basically got like McDonald's, you got Taco Bell, and you got this place called Ponchos, which is a Mexican spot. Uh, Mexican, very loose term uh, for that type of food. <laughs> but pulled up the Taco Bell, saw that rattlesnake, saw the jalapenos, and I was like, I got to do it. And uh, I thought it was great. You know, a delicious little treat right there. I love jalapenos. I eat them any time I can. So it's that nice crunch to balance everything out. I got the spice, which I love. Obviously, I put that fire sauce on top of it as well. Um, and speaking of fire sauce, Jess, I know there was a story in the news recently that involved the sauce, and, and you really took a liking to Yeah, there was a guy who, you know, I, I didn't read a whole lot into it, although I do want to shout out all of my friends because I think at least eight different people sent me this story and that's how you know it's real. Um, a man was lost, I believe, <laughs> and didn't have any food. The only thing he had to survive off of was Taco Bell fire sauce. And sure enough, the Taco Bell fire sauce kept him alive, pushed him through, and that's the kind of stuff that we love to see on the fast food flavor because fast food saves lives. And, and you know, I've known that for a while and now the nation can see that. Yeah, this was a a crazy story, but uh, a story that definitely needed to be talked about here on Cautious Optimistic. We're going to shout out the guy's name. His name is Jeremy Taylor. He's 36 years old. He was a snowmobiler. And I don't know if that's his job or what, but I mean, that's a pretty good title for him. Um, you know, he's stranded there for five days. The fire sauce and turning up his car, turning on his engine in his car to warm him up. So yeah, the fire sauce and the engine heater. It's, it's, it's a hot situation there, but he made it through, and we're happy to see that. Two first names. I think believe it's five days living off a of fire sauce. So you know that's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing indeed. He was with his dog when it happened, and uh, that's gonna close up shop on this week's fast food flavor. Fast food flavor. Fast food flavor. We have reached that time again, folks, the end of another episode of Cautiously Optimistic. But before we go, we want to leave you with our super hot, interesting cakes and shout outs. We heard Harrison leave his earlier in the show and boy, were they hot. But now we have here in the studio, here in Topeka, hopefully I pronounced it right there, Sully. Um, we'll let you start off with a shout out. That sounds good to me. Uh, a quick shout out, you know, friend of the pod, family of the pod, and my brother, Archie Angles. Uh, starting a new adventure later this month, going up to Oregon to finish the school. Just want to give him a shout out. Uh, future duck, so hopefully uh, he can kind of turn that into some kind of job at Nike and get us some free shoes, boys. Yeah, definitely need some free shoes. I, I, I wasn't. I didn't even know that that was actually happening. I was a little confused because we were talking about it in a, a Twitter DM there. So earlier this week, when you're like, know. "Yeah, I'm gonna go up to Oregon I and give me some free shoes," but, uh, you know, he's, he's bashful. I was I was putting the the pieces together and I was like, "Okay, I don't know. Did you get a job up there? Like, what's happening?" But you know, shout out Arch. You know, congratulations. Uh, now we're enemies. Uh, great to hear that about Archie uh, going to Oregon, which happened to be the location of the man who survived by eating the Taco Bell fire sauce. So lots of good things in uh, lots of good things in Oregon. If Archie ever gets lost, you know he knows there's hope for him out there in Oregon. And uh, Jesse, I know you also have something to talk about. I believe it is a take. Yeah, I got a hot take. You know, we you know we were talking about a lot uh, the classic or trash with Harrison Fagan. Uh, you know today. People are talking about a classic dunk that just happened. Derek Jones Jr. with the you know alley oop where he goes up, cocks back all the way, and throws it in the hoop. Problem: never touched the rim. It's the same thing as that Blake Griffin dunk a while ago. That's not a dunk. Sure, it's very impressive that he was able to reach his arm back that far and and catch it in the one hand, but that was a, a layup hoop. Don't get it twisted. Everybody's talking about this is the best dunk of the season. It's not even a dunk. Yeah, it's impressive that he threw it in the in the, in the bucket. Yeah, you threw it in. Don't call it a dunk. 
It's ridiculous. This isn't the best dunk of the year because he didn't dunk it. Don't give me that. It's the same thing as the Blake Griffin dunk. I don't care. Sure, he's got bounce. Put him in the dunk contest next year and let's see what he does. This is ridiculous. The term I've been seeing on Twitter is thrunk. No, the, the no, throw that's dunk? That's terrible. Dunk. Yeah, that's that's bad too. I'm just, I, I'm very upset because I saw this highlight like, incredible, the best thing that's happened all season. It's like, no, it's not. It's not. I'm with you, Jesse. Uh, one, thrunk is a terrible name. Uh, two, a dunk has to be involved with touching the rim, despite, you know, it could be a, the craziest thing ever. You know, Blake Griffin's thing was impressive. Derek Jones Jr. is impressive. but And, and Dwight, and, Dwight and yeah. the, the dunk contest but, is the same yeah, thing. I t- completely agree. Those are not dunks. Do not call them dunks. Um, and and it's less impressive that he didn't dunk it. Like that that that's also that. Like yeah. I'm I'm not saying that it was trash. You know we're talking about a classic or trash. It wasn't trash, but it's overrated. As Harrison, this is my I, I understand how Harrison feels about In and Out now because this is how I feel about this dunk. Sure, it was an impressive feat, <laughs> but it it wasn't. It was less impressive than everybody's making it out to be because part of the impressive part about it is if he would have dunked, that would have been insane. But there just wasn't enough space. His arm wasn't quite long enough. He didn't jump right. Whatever it was, it was just less impressive. Have have gone Michael Jordan in Space Jam with the arm extension to get that thing in. Exactly. So if you haven't seen it, go look up Derek Jones Jr. on Twitter. It's the only thing he's ever done in his career, so it'll be the first thing that pops up. Um, And just understand that what you're seeing is not as impressive as everybody says it is. Wow, another very hot take, and that's what we like here. Super hot take, in fact. Uh, this has been episode 94. You know what, Nick? Actually, I decided I have one more shout-out oh, for you. Bring it, mm. bring it on. We want, we, we love to have uh, more of that stuff. Here I, we go. I gotta, I gotta shout-out Jose Canseco for all his actions <laughs> on Twitter tonight, uh, trying to call out A-Rod. Yo. Did you guys see this stuff? Jose is wilding right now. He's like... He is getting wild. He dropped a number on Twitter. The he, latest, my favorite tweet, the best one, definitely... He says, doesn't add him, just Alex Rodriguez, I challenge you to a boxing match or an MMA match anytime you want. Just like it's a formal proclamation for the world to know that he wants to fight. And if I'm a promoter, I'm trying to hop on that as quick as possible. <laughs> Man, like, uh, I, the last thing I wanted to see on my timeline was Jose Canseco, but here we are. I think this probably, <laughs> everything that Jose Canseco does, especially this, has to stem from the time the home run bounced off his head and over the fence, uh, rattles the brain around yep. a little bit. Um, Jose's always been a snitch, though, so, you know, who, who knows? And a lot of the stuff, there's a lot of people that he's snitching on, it was actually true. So maybe J-Lo got to go and check her man real quick. We, we got to see. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the new fiancé. Yes, yeah. The, uh, the, fiance. Best, the best tweet I saw that was, uh, and you might have to spell this out to get it, but uh, and the tweet was he went to Jared, and it was J yeah. in a parentheses, and obviously the next four letters are A-Rod. That was a good one. That was a good one. I, I also, like, when it happened, I said out loud, I was like, oh, J-Rod, or J-Lo got engaged to A-Rod, and I just felt terrible because I was like, oh, that's too many emphasis or like small yeah. names whatever whatever the word is like I was like I, I don't want to shorten all these names and I feel so dumb right now yeah <laughs> well again thank you so much for listening to episode 94 of Cautiously Optimistic we will be giving out the information for our March Madness Bracket Challenge if you want to win that $15 gift card to somewhere of your choosing but again Jesse thinks he will be winning it so I'll be choosing to- uh, Lucky Boy Lucky Boy yes uh, go to Lucky Boy uh, you know look good as you go to Lucky Boy get that challenger in the hair um, but for now one, can- one thing I will say though is if Jesse wins it's only a $10 gift card since when? No, 100% not. Because five of it is coming from you, Bob. Oh, well, that, that is a good point, actually. No, that is right. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
that is true. My mind games. Mm-hmm. But again, thanks for listening, everybody. You can find us on Twitter at Cautiously Pod, on Instagram at Cautiously Pod, and where else? My, Nowhere else. My, Nowhere else. Oh no! no do we take our MySpace page down in preparation for episode 100? Yeah, it's gone. Oh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't know we took that down yet. I knew we were going to do it the, soon. Actually, I take that. Only the Zanger remains. Oh, the Zanger's okay. the only one left. Okay, and we're so, slowly phasing it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, get, finally catching up with the times here. But uh, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. I'm Nick Ostler. I'm Jesse Brummel. I'm Sully Angles, and we'll see you real, real soon. As the world turns, I spread like germ. Bless the globe with the pestilence. The hard-headed never learn. This my testament to those burned. Play my position in the game of life, standing firm. On foreign land, jump the gun out the frying pan. Into the fire, transform into the ghost rider. A six-pack in the street car named Desire. Who got my back in the line of fire, holding back? What? My people's if you...